We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 6. As I was preparing the message for this, I was working through the text and I was thinking in my mind, there's going to be one of two types of people in this audience this morning when we look at the God's word. And there's going to be some that are going to be there and everything I say, they're going to think, amen, amen, amen. And then there's going to be some people who are like, man, settle down. Why are you stepping on my toes this morning? There are some hard truths that we're going to look at this morning in God's word. And uh, I love the fact that I can open God's word together with you as one of the pastors here at Maranatha and preach what God says. Because if you get mad or you're upset, you're not going to be upset or mad at me. You're going to be upset with the Lord, who is the one who give us, gave us this instruction this morning. And so we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I've entitled the message, The Company That We Keep, dot, dot, dot. As this text speaks of that, but also, I believe, gets very personal with us as we examine our own lives, as we look at this text that Pastor Butch has already read for us. I want to make a statement as we begin that I think is important, and I think one that we have to consider. Very often, the company that we keep is a reflection of who we are and who we want to be. Very often, the company that we keep is a reflection of who we are and who we want to be. And so as we begin this morning, just two questions to consider. What kind of company are we keeping and what kind of company are we? What kind of company are we keeping and what kind of company are we? As we look at this great text together. And so as we examine this text, I would like to just provide five truths to consider this morning as a child of God and then uh, give five questions to answer about our own lives as we go from here. So something you can take with you and just stir over the next week as you consider the questions that I'll leave you with uh, as we look at this text together. So let's jump in first to the truths that we need to consider and we'll jump right in at verse verse 6. Paul says this, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. This is the opening part of verse 6 where Paul says, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very important truth I believe we have to get. We have to understand this as followers of Jesus. If we're going to follow Christ and live for Christ, we must understand, first of all, that God's word is not a suggestion manual. God's word is not a suggestion manual. Amen? Amen. You see, God's word is not a collection of writings or suggestions. God's word is not just a book or letters that have been compiled together that the authors and writers distributed and shared with various churches over the generations and saying, hey, listen, guys, if you get a chance, read these things, think on these things, and if you'd like to do them, that'd be great. But if not, we understand, go your own way, do your own thing. That's not what God's word is to us. God's word is not a suggestion manual. And yet, I believe all of us, hopefully, if we're followers of Christ today, could say amen to that. And we would proclaim that boldly. Amen. God's word is not a list of suggestions. It's not a suggestion manual. God's word is truth. God's word is authoritative. God's word is what I need to consider and follow and put into practice in my life. We would believe that and say that in church Because that's what you're supposed to do in church. But how about in our daily living, in our decisions, in our choices, in the actions and words that 
that, that flow from us on a daily basis? Do we put into practice and believe that God's word truly is not just a suggestion manual? Paul's going to say to believers here, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognized the authority that he had as an apostle of Jesus Christ and that the commands and instructions that he was giving to them were from the Lord and therefore they were to be authoritative in their lives. There was no room for the believer in Christ to receive the word of God, to hear it, to look at it, to study it, to understand it and come to a conclusion after listening to it. Yeah, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do that. Because they didn't have that authority. They, didn't, they aren't in the position. We are not in the position as God to determine what God says that we like or that we don't like. Or what we will do and what we will not do. We're not in that position of authority. Neither were they. Jesus said this in John chapter 14 Verses 23 to 26, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to me and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will obey my word. If you truly know and love and follow Jesus Christ, You and I do not have the opportunity or privilege to look at God's word and say, I don't want to do that. God's word is not a suggestion manual for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul reminds us, I'm sorry, Timothy reminds us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Paul's telling Timothy here, He's reminding us through the life that Timothy is going to live that all that he has written, all scripture that is given, Paul reminds Timothy, is by God. It originates with God. It's that which was authoritative. It's that which must be a priority for our lives. And Timothy would be well reminded of this by Paul who was a spiritual father to him. The word of God is essential for us as followers of Jesus Christ. God's word is authoritative. Now, please don't get this confused. There are many today who believe that they have authority even greater than what the scriptures say, and they would be an heir, and they would be false teachers that would seek to provide or uh, uh, share any kind of teaching that is contrary to the word of God. They would be in the category of a false teacher who should be avoided and not listened to because God's word is authoritative. Instruction from the Lord is authoritative. There's a huge difference between the instruction from men and the commands of men and the instruction and commands of God. This is one of the huge errors of the Pharisees that were were very much uh, occupying during the days of Jesus that would go beyond even what God has said uh, to put up their own man-made laws and traditions that they would hold people accountable to even beyond what God himself would give to them. And Jesus would call them whitewashed tombs. He would call them uh, the Pharisees hypocrites. Those that were more concerned with the exterior than the interior, which is never the case with God. But instruction from the Lord is authoritative. And it was important for the believer in Jesus Christ during the day and age in which Paul was writing, just as it is important for you and I today as believers to use discernment 
an understanding of what is the authoritative word of God and what is nothing more than the false teachings of men. What God says matters. And there's a reason that's very important. There's a reason that's so essential. I I, uh, love it when my kids come home from school and they'll have a test or an assignment and we'll ask, what did the teacher say you needed to know or you needed to do for that? And I love it when they say, well, I don't know what the teacher said, but my classmate told me. And, and, and I remember, I hear that and I'm thinking like, listen, I don't care what your friends told you. What did the teacher tell you? You ever have that? Like if you have kids? Or how many times that we would have given instruction to our kids say, hey, listen, you're not allowed to do this. they like, well, my friend told me. I, I, I don't care what your friend said. It's not that I don't care about their friends. I do. But the point being is that there's authoritative voice and there's one that is not authoritative. And the non-authoritative voice might be very kind, might be very loving, might be very attractive as far as what they say and maybe even what we want to hear, but it's not an authoritative voice. And I believe a problem, a huge problem today within the church within those that would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, is there are ears that are so often ready to hear teaching that is contrary to God's word because it supports the decisions we want to make that are not in line with God's word. And it is a very dangerous thing when we begin to latch on to teaching or instruction from individuals that are teaching contrary to God's word simply because we feel good about it or because it's what we would rather hear. God's word is very clear. God's word's very clear. And there are countless examples, even in the society in which we live today, in which God's word makes very clear what is right, and God's word makes very clear what is wrong, and yet there are believers in Christ who are just towing that line or wanting to make it very gray, and it is not gray. It's very clear. So many examples. If you're following Jesus Christ and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are in a relationship with a significant other today and you are not married, you should not be having sex. If you're married, you should be committed to your spouse and not someone else. If you have children, parents, you're to lead them and give them instruction that follows Christ. And kids, you're supposed to obey your parents. God's word's very clear about these things. Marriage is very clearly between one man and one woman in the sight of God. There's not to be compromise on that issue because God is very clear. You are the gender that God has designed and made you to be. God's word is very clear. You're created in the image of God. He made you the way you are on purpose. And that will not change. God's word is to be followed and obeyed even when no one else is following or obeying it. These are not things given our current culture that we live in that are very popular or that are very widely accepted by the world in which we live. But it doesn't matter what the world in which we live says. What matters is what God has said. And God's word is not simply a suggestion manual. It is to be obeyed. It is to be taught. It is to be put into practice in our lives. Too often Christians want to pick and choose what to obey and what to ignore. 
In Job chapter 23, Job was described by God as a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and hates evil. And this is what Job said in Job 23. As Job was suffering and he couldn't understand why and he was calling out to God and yet God seemed to be so distant from him. He said, behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Listen to what Job's saying here. Listen, he says, I I can't see or find God as I look. He he still recognizes that God is working. Because he says, when he's working, I just don't see him. But he's working. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way. And not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. He is unchangeable. Who can turn him back what he desires that he does? You know what Job says here? Job's saying, listen, even in the midst of the most difficult trial that he could ever endure, that any of us could ever endure with what Job was going through, he recognized God was still working. His word must still be obeyed, that God is unchanging, and that if Job is following the instruction of God, he will come through this trial as gold, following the Lord and what the Lord commands him to do. We need to understand a very important reality when it comes to this God's word is not a suggestion manual. We need to understand something. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not in charge. God is. And some of us hate that. But God is in charge. And can I just give you some encouragement this morning? And this should go without saying, but sometimes we need to be reminded of it. He does a much better job of being in charge of things than you and I could. And so we should be trusting him with that. God's ways and word are always right. We are not. God's glory is to be prioritized over all things. We are not. Therefore, Understand this truth. God's word is not a suggestion manual. Number two, we should not keep company with believers who are willfully walking in disobedience. We should not be keeping company with believers who are willfully walking in disobedience. Look again, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. This Could not be any clearer what he says here. And again, this is a hard truth sometimes for us to digest. But Paul makes something abundantly clear. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away. Keep away. You say, what what does it mean to keep away? It means keep away from (laughs) any brother who is not walking or who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Take note, this is directed towards believers regarding other believers in Jesus Christ. Paul says, stay away from, do not be around, avoid any brother who is walking in idleness, any brother who is disregarding the traditions and actions and teaching that you've received from us, stay away, keep away from them. Paul's going to go on and he's going to share some other thoughts and reasons about this. He's going to give a little bit more explanation that we're going to get to in just a moment. But understand, we should not keep company with believers who are willfully walking in disobedience. This consistent. This is consistent with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus would say, if a brother or sister sins against you, you go to that person, you confront them with this sin. If they will hear you, you've won your brother. If they will not hear you, you take another with you. There's a process. 
But the ultimate end of this process is if this believer refuses to repent and turn from the sin that is in their lives, that you're to have nothing to do with them, that you're to deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, he would say, and, and we are to treat them as a Gentile and tax collector. What he's saying to them is, listen, you don't associate with them, you don't go around them, you have nothing to do with them if they're continuing to walk in disobedience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world, in other words, those that don't know Christ, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. You know what Paul said? I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people, immoral people, then he clarifies, I don't mean people in the world, people that don't know Christ. I don't mean the sexually immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters that are in the world because then you would need to go out of the world. Paul's saying, listen, if you're telling you stay away from anybody that's in the world that's doing these things that's not a believer, there's nowhere for you to go because that's the case. But he says, I told you to stay away from a brother or those that are believers that are sexually immoral people that are characterized by a life of sinful disobedience. But verse 11, now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. If there's a believer in Christ who is willfully, continually participating in whose lifestyle is marked by the sin that they are so prevalently participating in, Paul says, I tell you not to associate with that brother, not to be around them. To be away from them. He says, verse 12, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is, not, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Here we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 where Paul would say, I command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. You know what he's saying here? He's saying if there's a believer in Christ who is willfully, continually participating in disobedient acts of sin against God, if their life is still marked by the sin that they are embracing and participating in, even as someone who has been set free from that, you stay away from them. The correcting hand of God is coming into their lives because the one the Lord loves, he corrects. And so often the the people and crowd that we associate with have such an impact and reflection on us, doesn't it? And so here Paul is telling them, remove yourself from them, go away from them. We should not keep company with believers who are willfully walking in disobedience to the Lord. I remember in elementary school when we would have our lunch, we had a lunch lady in the lunchroom, and this was, this was obviously many years ago when I was in elementary school, that we had this lunch lady that would have been the, the, the one that when you walk in and if she was working that day, everybody kind of stood up a little bit straighter and walked a little bit like quieter because she was uh, uh, the person that was going to keep everybody in line. And I remember when guys would be at the tables and they were messing around or they were doing things, if anybody happened to by chance, it would be the last time they ever did this, if she was working, throw food at someone, she would come over to the edge of the table and she would have the lunch tray and she would slam the lunch tray up against the edge of the table. I mean, you could hear that like from like the hallways. She would take that lunch tray and she would be, you know, people would be sitting right here and right in front of them, she would take that thing and start slamming the edge of the lunch table. I don't think she could get away with that today. Uh, kids would be very traumatized today if that were the case. But I remember when she did that, everybody shut up real quick. 
But it was so much so that when I knew she was there and she was working, that if I knew she was there that day and she would just kind of have that lunch tray, kind of like walking around the lunchroom, like looking. And so I would come in and there was two different types of groups that I would sit with at lunch. There were the guys that were the goofballs, which included me that like, like to make fun, like have fun, do stupid stuff, try to get away with stuff. And then there was like the quieter group that was like the real like disciplined sit. They didn't do any of that ever. And if she was working, guess which group I chose to sit with? The quiet ones, okay? Why? Because I knew if I sit with them, there was one kid, I remember my friend Robert in particular, who even when she was working, he didn't care. So I knew if I sit with them, I'm going to be getting slammed by a lunch tray and she's going to be right up in our faces and maybe even make us throw our lunch out and not eat it because of how we were acting, which you could get away with doing that too years and years ago. And we survived. We're okay. I'm here. Here I am. And, and, and she would do those things. But if I knew who it was that was in charge walking around that day, I was like, no, I'm not associating. I'm over here. Why? Because I knew what was coming. Can I just remind you of something as a believer in Christ? That if you are readily participating and associating with those that are rebellious against God, it will not be too long before you too will be rebellious against God. And the correcting hand of God is coming. And doesn't it make sense as those that want to honor God and follow Christ and serve him well, that we would want and desire to surround ourselves with those who equally want to honor God and serve him well? And Paul says here that you are to avoid, you are to stay away from any believer who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. We should not be keeping company with believers who are willfully walking in disobedience. Now listen, don't misunderstand this. Same is true back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When Paul gave this list, he gave this list as that those that were participating in these things, so much so that that defined them, they would still be labeled as those that were sexually immoral or drunkards or swindlers or revilers or thieves. It was because that marked them as their lifestyle. God is not saying that if there's a believer who has disobedience or struggles with obeying in certain areas and is confessing that sin and repenting before God, that you stay away from them. Because guess what? We would all be isolated by ourselves constantly. Because every one of us sin. Every one of us are in need of God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. But he's making something very clear for the one who is characterized by disobedience to him and who as a believer is willfully embracing a disobedient lifestyle. Stay away. Stay away. And that's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard sometimes, but God has a reason and purpose in that. Number three, followers of Christ should be the hardest workers in the room. Followers of Christ should be the hardest workers in the room. Look at verses 7 through 12. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies." Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Followers of Christ should be the hardest workers in the room. God does not honor idleness. He does not honor and is not honored by laziness. God's desire for you and I as followers of Christ are to be believers who are glorifying him in all that we do. We cannot glorify God while we are being lazy. 
We cannot be glorifying God while we are refusing to participate and act in a way that would show forth that God has created us for his glory. Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24, Paul said, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The context of Colossians 3, Paul is speaking to servants obeying their masters, and he's telling them even in those situations, even when they're unfair situations, you work hard as to the Lord and not to men. As believers in Christ, we should be marked by a work ethic that mirrors and honors the God whom we serve. Aren't you thankful that God is not lazy? Aren't you thankful this morning that our Heavenly Father is not lazy? That he doesn't always just find himself sleeping and slumbering on the job? Aren't you thankful that our Lord Jesus Christ didn't stop when things got hard or difficult? That's the example that's been set for us as those that follow Christ. We should be so diligent about the work of God in wherever God has placed us that we don't have time to be lazy and complacent. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be marked by a work ethic that mirrors and honors the God whom we serve and by the name by which we are called. Paul says, if a man does not work, he should not eat. Isn't that pretty pointed there? I tell you, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. You want to eat, then work. It's like we tell our kids when they, my my youngest daughter, Leah, if we have any kind of sweet in the house, any kind of candy, any kind of dessert, she knows it. And whenever we eat dinner, she always wants dessert. She always wants candy. She always wants something sweet. And we tell her, listen, if you want something sweet, eat your dinner. Then you can have something sweet. This is the same logic here that Paul's using. If you want to eat, work. If you want to eat, Work. If a man does not work, neither shall he eat. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you remember the previous letter that Paul wrote? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul said this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and you will not be dependent upon anybody. Paul's very consistent in the message he was providing here. You need to work. You need to work hard. You need to be provided, providing for yourself. You need to be an example for others to follow. So work. Now understand, there are obviously examples of individuals, not only present day, but in God's word, where they couldn't, for whatever reason, work to provide for themselves. And even today, maybe there are physical reasons that you cannot work to provide for yourself. If you remember back to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 in the establishing of the church, verses 44 and 45, it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was a providing for one another. But understand contextually in Acts chapter 2, the reason that these believers had needs is because they were following Christ Many of them without jobs, leaving their homes, coming together, and they were set for the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Christ. And as such, they were in need because of that. They were not in need because they were lazy. They were not in need because they refused to work. They were in need because of the gospel. And there was a necessity that was there for the believer to provide for one another. But Paul says that we are to be workers, hard workers. We should be setting the example. Listen, if you're an employee, you should be up for employee of the month every month because of your work ethic. I don't care what it is you're doing. 
We should be the hardest workers. No one should ever be able to say of the follower of Jesus Christ, that person's just plain lazy. They don't take their job seriously. They don't care. I can't get them to do anything. That should never be said of us as followers of Christ. We should be the hardest workers in the room. Paul says also that we are to busy at work, not busy bodies. You understand something here? That laziness and idleness can lead to even greater sins. We need to understand that. You've heard the statement, an idle mind can be the devil's playground. Can I just encourage you with something? If you or I are being lazy and we're not working as God intended us to work, we are providing all sorts of avenues for us to get completely messed up into sin. And that's not what God intended. He says, some of you are not hard at work. You're not busy at work, but you are busy bodies, walking in idleness. Followers of Christ should not be characterized or marked by these things. We should be the hardest workers in the room. Number four, we've got to go quickly here. Number four, there are examples to follow and there are examples to avoid. Verses seven and nine, Paul says, you ought to imitate us. We've left you an example to imitate Listen, this morning as a child of God, we can have the best examples to follow and imitate, but we will still have to make the decision to follow and imitate the right examples. There will be plenty of examples to not follow and imitate. And yet so often, if the company we are keeping are those examples, we find ourselves looking more and more like those examples. And so we need to be cognizant of the fact that these examples are there to follow but also examples to avoid. And that's what Paul wanted them to understand. Paul wanted them to understand that they need to follow the truthful examples they've received. Follow and imitate what they have provided for them and what they have left for them. And this goes back to the firm understanding we must have that God's word is truth. And so we follow the examples that follow God's word. Paul would say that follow me as I follow Christ. And number five, when correction is needed, correction should be made. Look at verse 12. I love verse 12. After sharing all this, and it's kind of like hard, right? Stay away from anybody that's disobedient, walking in idleness, not following the traditions we've given to you. Don't imitate them. Imitate us. They're not busy at work. They're busy bodies. He shares all this, and then he says verse 12. Now, such persons, what such persons? The idle, the ones that are busy bodies and not busy at work, the ones that he just said, avoid them. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. You know what Paul says here? We're encouraging you in the Lord. We're commanding you and encouraging you in the Lord that if correction's needed, then make the corrections and start honoring him. And I think that's fabulous. Because if you're here today in any part of this, you've thought, that's me, that's me, that's me. Man, that's not me. I can't believe I'm not doing it. I want to give you the same instruction that Paul would give to be commanded and encouraged in the Lord to make the corrections that are needed through the strength that God offers and gives. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive. He can restore and he can lead us in a way that would be pleasing to him. So if you've been lazy, quit being lazy. If you've been idle, quit being idle. If you've been a busy body, stop it. If you need to get a job because you've been lazy and refusing to work, get a job and work hard. If you've been not only not the employee of the month, but like the one that's constantly on the end, like they might let go of me because I don't work, get working for the Lord and glorify God through your work ethic. 
Understand, God's word is not a suggestion manual. We should not keep company with believers who are walking in disobedience. Followers of Christ should be the hardest workers in the room. There are examples to follow and there are examples to avoid. And when correction is needed, correction should be made. Real quick as we close, here are the questions I want to leave you to answer this week about your own life. Number one, what commands are we avoiding that we need to obey? What commands are we avoiding that we know we need to obey? It might be different for you than it is the person next to you. But is there anything in God's word that jumps out and you're like, man, I know what God says about this, but ah, that's been hard. What commands are we avoiding that we need to obey? Number two, who are we associating with that is having a negative influence on our walk with Christ? Who are we associating with that is having a negative influence in our walk with Christ? Number three, what kind of work ethic do we have? Are we the hardest workers in the room? Are we glorifying God in the way that we work? Are we serving him in that way for his glory? Number four, what example are we following? Who are we imitating? Who, are you most, who am I most influenced by? What example are we following and who are we imitating? And number five, what corrections need to be made today so that we might more faithfully follow Christ? What corrections need to be made today so that we might more faithfully follow Christ? And would we do those things? Would we do those things so that God is glorified in our lives? Hard things, but truthful things, things that honor the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your grace and mercy because, God, we are certainly needing it every day of our lives. I pray that you would help us to be obedient children, that we would hold your word in high authority for our lives that we would faithfully follow you and serve you for the glory of our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.